Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. Hi, welcome to Grape Top Church Online. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and uh, I got to say that last night's uh, Christmas party was a hit. Um, I personally didn't get to bed till uh, close to one because somehow I got caught uh, with the duty of washing dishes. Um, and there was a moment where Tamara and Lauren both sat down and I was still washing dishes. I was like, hey, this isn't right. But um, I had to just, you know, take my licks. But it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Some of y'all got to hear my radio voice as we were announcing uh, our gifts for the night. <laughs> Um, and I didn't get into too much trouble. Some of y'all might think that I did get into trouble by uh, my off-the-cuff humor, but that was actually really downplayed to how it could usually be. All that being said, it was a fun night. Glad that you guys were able to make it. Let's go into our uh, series, which is our joyful series. Joyful, joyful, joyful. Um, This series has been really fun for me. Uh, I actually really believe that Christians should be full of joy and it uh, depending on how old a Christian is spiritually speaking they may look uh, really joyful if they're brand new to it or they may look a little seasoned and weathered like a veteran Christian that doesn't doesn't play around but no matter where you are in your Christian walk the spirit of God is joy and so we've been unpacking what that is in a practical way and how we can really just find the joy of our salvation again. Um, Today, we're going to specifically be talking about let it go. Let it go. And at first, this title was Let Go. But then I thought, what about that song from Frozen? And it's Christmas time, Let It Go. We could all sing Let It Go at the end as a worship song, but just make it about Jesus. Um, So get ready for that at the end. Let it go, let it go, let it go. And in preparation of this message, I was actually going to give a completely different message. And as uh, I started providing extra content, uh, by the end of it, I was like, you know what? I'm going to actually just preach all of this additional content as the message. And the original message will just be in my pocket for another time period. To the, our first point is let go of the past. And this whole message, we're going to be talking about the things that we need to let go of in, in life in order to really access this joy. Because all of these things that I'm projecting for us to let go of are things that hinder us from joy. And whose kid is that, right? Um, hopefully online can't hear that baby screaming. He should be asleep. Um, but, you know, sleep training is tough. Okay. <laughs> let go of the past. And we're going to be looking at the story of the woman at the well. Very popular story. And I hope that as we go over this story, we'll learn some new things uh, through the emotions and exchanges and dialogue between her and Jesus. Um, Starting with this point, uh, I want us to understand that bitterness will blind you from the possibility of joy. Bitterness will blind you from the possibility of joy. Picking up in John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, and I'm going to be breaking down this story as we go. 
It says, so he came, talking about Jesus, Jesus came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. And so, as a preface to this story, Jesus had just traveled from a very far place. Again, these people are walking, so he's tired. He just got done preaching to multitudes, a bunch of people. He's been preaching, doing ministry, uh, and it's just this is the time that they're supposed to have a break. This is their escape moment, and Jesus sat down to rest, and at this point, the disciples were going to look for food while Jesus was resting. So he sits down at this well. It's 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and it says, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, though you are a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Let's just take a pause right here. This actually shows us a glimpse of thousands of years ago, there being uh, stigmas, racism, stereotypes within cultures that were so prevalent that even, uh, just in this random scenario, the Samaritan woman is like, what are you doing talking to me? And mainly because Jews were more so prejudiced against the Samaritans. And we see so many, so much happening in this one scene because it shows Jesus's heart of consistently breaking down prejudice, stereotypes, and racism in a single moment where he asked this woman for water. He had no reserve in talking to her. It was, uh, it was a simple gesture to where it was almost like a, a peace offering as he extended and even asked her for some water. And all of that history, I want you to, to y'all know our nation today, right? And all of this, uh, there's a lot of uproar about history right now, um, or uh, maybe not as potent because we're like in Christmas winter time. But in the last couple of years, uh, just in the U.S. history alone, there's been so much uh, emotion with even the history of prejudice and racism in our country which is a very isolated uh, place in the world, given that there is still uh, ongoing slavery in other parts of the world that no one has talked about. It's, it's crazy how prevalent racism and slavery is in today. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's astronomical, and yet there, it's quiet because uh, most of it produces so much money that it stays on the hush. People, uh, politicians and companies don't talk about it as much because they're the ones benefiting from it. All that aside, just in our country, it still has a stain and a, a very hard emotion to it. Now connect it to this story and imagine all those emotions with it. Okay? That's what is the feeling of this woman when Jesus asks her for water. Y'all feel that? It goes on to say, Jesus replied to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. 
She said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. So what Jesus does here, again, he's not, when he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, he's saying, if you knew how, uh, how unnecessary the world's uh, differences are, if you understood me as Savior, me as, as God, if you understood me as Jesus, the Son of God, who I am, you wouldn't care about any of this history that this world has produced and all of its evil and, and carnage that has come. You wouldn't even care about that because you would realize something so much more valuable right in front of you. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And he, and he says, you would have asked him and I would have given it to you. He's saying, no matter what the Jews have against uh, the Samaritans, I have no, nothing against them. I would have given you living water. Not just ordinary water, which would have been a kind gesture from the Jews, but I would give you the living water without hesitation, without reserve. I would give it to you freely. Again, breaking down all past prejudice ideas that this woman has believed in. And her response ignores everything that Jesus says. It ignores everything that Jesus says. Why? Did she just blow over that? Why is she still talking to him like she's mad at him even though she just met him? Because of the history there. Because of the history that she cannot let go of. The bitterness of the past. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And many things can be stumbling blocks and hindrances to our lives and our ability to receive joy. But bitterness surpasses them all. And it will cause you to inadvertently ignore joyfulness, even when it's right in front of you. Jesus is the epitome, the source of joy, and she's rejecting it. Because she is so stuck on the past. No matter what the past is for us, we get fixated on it. We get so fixated on it to where we, can't, we ignore even just simply a good thing. Even just a good thing. I don't know how many times I've heard a young lady talk in a way that's like, I'm never talking to that kind of man again. I'm never going to talk to a guy that's younger than me. I'm never going to talk to a, a minister again in a romantic way. I, I one time heard a woman, uh, a young girl, uh, tell me that she was just recently divorced. And she's like, and I will never ever be with a pastor again that was the most toxic relationship i've ever been little did she know that i was a pastor and i was happily married and i was like hold up wait a minute i was like perhaps maybe your one moment of experience was limited <laughs> that you just may have just maybe have chose a pastor that was still a human being that happened to be a pastor and had some toxic traits that neither one of you knew how to deal with. Just maybe. It had nothing to do with that, this, this label, this history, but it was the limited experience you had that you're making a universal idea. And see, that, that kind of thinking, it stops you from the possibility 
of, of something good, even if it was right in front of you. Even uh, it's on this topic of marriage, even for Lauren, before she met me, I'm younger than Lauren, if y'all didn't know. Yeah, she's kind of a cougar. <laughs> but right be- the relationship she had before she met me, the guy was also younger than her. See a trend here? But, <laughs> and she told herself, after that, that toxic relationship uh, finally ended, she told herself, she even wrote down in her little journal of the characteristics she wanted in a godly man. And her list of rules, which I barely made that list. And one, one of the single rules on there that I did not qualify for was, he has to be older than me. Because she was convinced in that one experience that the problem was really an unrelated incident. Y'all dig what I'm saying? And I would even project that a lot of the bitterness that we have today against groups of people, against churches, against just even uh, political things, all these ideas, we have so much bitterness, I would project to you, because of these isolated incidences that we, we, we cast out that bitterness on the whole. And we don't, even if something was good right in front of us, of us we would reject them because they have a different political view. We would reject them because they didn't line up to, to um, our bitter standards. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And not only does bitterness blind you your perspective, putting everything and everyone into your incredibly narrow box of experiences, but it also keeps you stuck in past emotions and tether you in one place. Have you noticed that when you're bitter about something, it's like you're bitter about a time period. It's almost like you relive it every day. If you, if you have a traumatic experience as in your childhood and you just can't get over that, that bitter point, you carry it with you every day. In no way am I trying to belittle any traumatic experience. Coming out of trauma myself, I will say that until we uh, move on from that bitterness, we live those moments over and over and over. It doesn't justify anything that happened to you, but it allows you the freedom to move on with your life. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And if not, we stay stuck there. Have you ever met someone that's bitter? And as soon as you meet with them, as soon as you talk with them, you hear where that bitterness comes from. You, you hear it in little comments. Maybe they'll just straight up tell you the first time. You're like, oh, that's a lot to process. <laughs> But it's like right away, they carry it with them everywhere and they can't move on from that place. And I want you to understand in that state of bitterness, it's very hard to feel anything other than the emotion of bitterness. It's, you could feel content and bitter, but it's hard to feel joyful and bitter together, let alone happy. And so... Understanding that, you have to be able to let go of certain things from the past in order to see things for the future. Jesus is standing right in front of this woman. Unconditional love. Something that I, I think that human beings have almost an impossibility, uh, impossible uh, capability of really producing that kind of unconditional love. 
and it's standing right in front of her and all she sees is her bitter past, bitter experiences. And she can't see Jesus for who he is. Forgiveness is a key to unlocking those emotions that chain you in the place and is what gives way for the potential of joy in your life. I believe that that's why when we experience raw forgiveness, it produces tears. Because it's almost like when you forgive, even when it's unjustified, it, it, your heart feels relieved. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It feels, it's like this, this type of relieving in your soul. And it's almost like you've had that door shut for a long time. And once you let it open, your heart can feel again. And it gives way to joy, the possibility of joy in your life again. Y'all feel that? You may be able to be content and bitter, but you'll never be able to be joyful and bitter at the same time. You have to choose one. Let go of the past. Let's continue our story and talk about how we need to let go of pride. Now, I'm not talking about have, like the pride that's like take pride in your work. That's a good kind of pride. I'm talking about the, the pride that puts self as numero uno. Me, myself, and I. And this part of the story will show us that pride blocks people and joyfulness from your life. Pride blocks out people and joyfulness from your life. This, we pick up the story where after this it says, Jesus answered and said to her, remember she just said, you don't even got no bucket. How are you going to give me living water? And he says, Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Even that sounded bitter, right? Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. <laughs> Apt. Apt analysis. He goes on to say, for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This which you have said is true. Now, I want to break that down in a minute, but first let's finish this, the, the text. The woman said to him, sir, that's, that means she's mad. I perceive that you are a prophet. Very perceptive. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. I want us to understand this for a moment. First, before getting into her response, Let's see this part where it says, Jesus, it, uh, for years, it seems like churches have made this story like Jesus like slam dunked her, right? Have you ever heard a sermon like that to where it's like, uh, and, and Jesus called her out? <laughs> Which is weird because Jesus doesn't talk to, uh, to people that way ex anywhere else in scripture except to the Pharisees when he called them vipers and hip hypocrites. What I see here. If, if Jesus was really trying to, to slam dunk her and call her out, he wouldn't have started off by saying, go and get your husband. 
Because Jesus doesn't uh, bring up our, our, even our, our sinfulness like that. He doesn't do gotcha moments. He says God's kindness draws us repentance, not, not God's traps. <laughs> what I see is when Jesus said, go and get your husband, he was trying to be polite about the lifestyle she was living in. That's what I see. Jesus was simply being polite, and rather than getting all into it, go get the, that, the guy that you live with, you know. He was just being polite. Go and get your husband. Because that was the, the, the standard of, of acceptance in their social society. And he was just trying to be polite. But the way she responded was still out of this prideful, sarcastic tone that she didn't want to give up. She's still mad about the past, and now her pride is all puffed up. And she's, she's like, wrong again, sir. Not only do you have no bucket, you don't know what you're talking about. And that's when Jesus is like, you're right. I, I misspoke. Go get the guy that you live with because you've already had five husbands and that's not it. You're right. I, I shouldn't have assumed that was your husband. He's just, he's just saying, you want to be like that? Then okay. Let's just call it for what it is. If you want to be upfront, then let's do it. And at this point, when he just uh, says, okay, have it your way, rather, uh, uh, rather than just saying, like, this guy obviously has some spiritual prophetic gifting, maybe I should just let go of my pride for a moment. Maybe I should let go of my past for a moment because he might have a way for me to get closer to God in my life. Rather than doing that, her pride felt embarrassed and so it tried to cover that embarrassment. Oh, so you think you're a prophet? Then tell me, why is it that you think we have to worship over there when we think we have to worship over here? Starts trying to get legalistic. And see, what, what, what is funny is that this same method is what so many people do within church. I, I don't know how many people have, even for me, accused Gravetop Church. What do we ever do to you? <laughs> Gravetop Church, and they'll just be like, well, you know... Uh, y'all's culture is just wrong. It's just something weird. Like try to nitpick at, at something about our church. Like, uh, great stuff. That's, it shouldn't be like that. I remember even just one comment of, uh, love God, love people. That's not that simple. That's, uh, two, that's two, uh, butterflies and rainbows. Well, do y'all use, y'all don't even use the word repent. Like it should be all kinds of stuff. And the same people that would accuse me of things like that. Do y'all even practice the Sabbath? Do y'all teach about Shabbat? <laughs> no, but your mama does, and so does your daddy. <laughs> but all jokes aside, the people that would have these, these, these accusations, that trying to be spiritual, trying to be theological, and really they were just blanket statements that didn't have solid grounding. And they would be living in crazy sin. <laughs> Crazy sin. Like, dude, rather than accusing me of being biblically incorrect, maybe you should stop doing drugs. Like, like, whoa, I would have never called you out on that, but you're pointing so many fingers at me. See, this is a kind of what pride does, is it tries to point the fingers to get less attention on self. It's called deflecting. That's what she's doing here. And pride acts as a defense mechanism whether you're cocky or whether you're insecure. 
you ever meet that one guy that seems like he, uh, he acts like he's all cocky and belittles everybody in the room? He's like a, a miniature bully or maybe a big bully. It's the most insecure person in the room. Person that makes fun of everybody else, most insecure person in the room. Or whether you're insecure and you hide from everybody in the room. Both of those are de uh, defense mechanisms of pride. You're so worried about what people think about you. Whether it's cocky or insecure, you're so worried about what people think about you. It's the same thing. It tries to hide oneself by putting walls all around you in an attempt to avoid transparency. It's all in an attempt to avoid transparency. And so whether your thoughts are, I'm scared or I'm not perfect or I'm intimidated or I don't know what to do or what the answer is, pride pushes people out to hide these real feelings that we have. And in the process, it pushes out joyfulness too. Because the fear of being embarrassed hides by acting overly confident or intelligent, like this woman does here, pride will put on a show of subtle superiority. Pride is really just a show. It's a facade. And the bigger the fear, the bigger the show. The bigger the fear, the bigger the show. And living in this pretend life simply doesn't allow you to be authentic. It doesn't allow you to be authentic. Thus, your relationships are only synthetic. They don't go very deep. That's why a lot of people struggle with um, friendships, especially the older they get. Because the friendships that they've only known are as deep as a shot glass. Once you take that away, not really good friends. Minute that I stopped drinking and doing drugs, friends were out. We're not as friendly as I thought they were. Those relationships are synthetic. And the, the truth is, we're all putting on a show. And without meaningful relationships, joyfulness doesn't have a strong ability to thrive. Because meaningful relationships blow fresh air on the flames of joy. Without them, it's easy for that joy to grow cold. We need relationships. Even just God has made mankind about relationships. It doesn't matter if you're an introvert or an extrovert. We need relationships. We need people that we can be authentic with, transparent with, where we could uh, not have to be afraid by showing all of our pride, but just really let our guard down. And this is a biblical thing because even in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam. He spoke with Adam. And God himself said, it is not good for man to be alone. That simple statement shows that God intended mankind to be relationship-based in our lives, in this world. And we, we need to understand that without meaningful relationships, it is incredibly hard to experience joy. You can have excitement in your life. You can find contentment. You can have moments of happiness. You get a new car, it feels happy for a little bit. But that's not joy, is it? Joyfulness 
comes when you're among meaningful relationships, whether it's family or friends, it thrives in meaningful relationships. Pride destroys the possibility of authentic relationships. Y'all dig that? So let's go on to our last point of our story. And this is let go of spiritual procrastination. This point almost was let go of procrastination because everything else was a P. Let go of the past, let go of pride, let go of procrastination. But I wanted to be very specific in saying spiritual procrastination. Because we often go through times like, you know what, I need to stop being lazy. I need to get, I'm going to get back on the diet. I'm going to go running in the morning. I'm going to just do stuff, you know, stop procrastinating. But spiritual procrastination is something that shouldn't just be re, redone every now and then. It should be something we really strive to get rid of ongoingly. Like it should be something we need to shed because your spiritual procrastination equals to your spiritual pessimism. Spiritual pes- pessimism. What that is, everyone knows what pessimistic is, right? Being negative negative Nancy, you're a negatron. It's being just this outlook that everything is negative, not so bright. And I want to, I want to project to you that our spiritual pessimism, the, all the, every time you hear of a supposed miracle, you're pessimistic about it. You hear of, uh, even when you, when you see certain preachers or, or pastors, you're pessimistic about it. You're automatically lean towards pessimism instead of the possibility of optimism. And it typically matches our spiritual procrastination. Your idea is that you've even answered prayers. It matches our spiritual procrastination. Y'all vibe with what I'm saying? Let's look at... Uh, finish up this story. It says, after this, she asks Jesus this, this theological question. And Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming and even now has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. And God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes... He will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. So let's break down this this dialogue. She brings this theological debate to Jesus. And Jesus says, that doesn't even matter. Because God doesn't care about the rules and laws that you're trying to argue about. He cares about your heart. He, he just makes it so simple. He says, at the end of the day, none of that matters. It just matters that God wants to be close to you. And if he's reaching out, are you willing to reach out uh, back to him? He's just looking for an authentic heart that wants to connect with him. And this is, it, that's such a, a down-to-earth way to approach someone about a relationship with God. 
If you ever thought of how do I witness to someone, this is a great example. Jesus is super down to earth. He doesn't, he doesn't give in to all these arguments. I, I personally love apologetics. I love apologetics. And I've never uh, felt like I've been in a position where there wasn't an answer to a, a, a real question. I felt like I've always been able to answer uh, uh, skepticism and questions accurately and articulately because uh, there's so much to be able to show truth. The best arguments uh, I've ever been able to overcome, people still leave with this, uh, this tone of like, well, you know, it's just not for me. I could ask them, if everything I said was true and I could prove it to you, would you, would you accept Jesus as your Savior? If, if it was just undoubtedly true that everything he did was real. And they would answer, no. Because it's not about logic. It's about the heart. And Jesus here reveals that. He says, all of that arguments aside, what if you could connect with God right now, your Heavenly Father? And she says, well, you know, one day the Messiah is coming. <laughs> when, when he gets here, then I'll take it serious. Then I'll, you know, get real with God. I'll get serious with God whenever that time comes. But for now, I'm going to just live my life. Spiritual procrastination. And we often know exactly what we need to do, but simply choose not to. Jesus literally tells her, guess what, honey? <laughs> the day is today. <laughs> because I knew you've been thinking that for a long time. And that's why I came here to talk to you face to face. Because the last people that talked to you, you said the same thing. And the people before that, you said the same thing. And you've been putting off this relationship with me for time and time again. And now I just decided to come and talk to you myself. Jesus cares so much about our hearts, even when, we're, when we procrastinate our relationship with him. We know exactly what to do, but we simply choose not to right now. It's not that we're choosing not to forever. It's just right now. I really don't feel like it. It seems like our spiritual life doesn't seem to matter. But all of these petty and vain worldly life things take priority in our lives. We will shuffle things around to be able to see the new Spider-Man movie, No Way Home. <laughs> which me and Lauren will go see tonight, so don't anyone spoil it for me. On a, on a lighter note, let me just take a step back because some of y'all look mad at me. When, uh, when Endgame came out, I'm just joking. None of y'all looking at Mary Kay Nash was like, the freak? <laughs> when Endgame came out, I, 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 took, a, I, I took some uh, uh, boys that used to stay with us to go see it. Great movie. And afterwards, I was like, wow. And while we were leaving the theater, walking down the steps, this younger guy with his girlfriend he was trying to impress just shouts out a major part of the ending in the theater just to ruin it for people. And it's like, <laughs> I'm so cool, right, babe? And no lie, I've never since being a Christian more considered going over and punking somebody out in front of their girlfriend in my life. I wanted to go and knock his socks off. And I had to tell myself, Homer, it's a movie. It didn't affect me. But just the audacity that it could have made me, made me want to really lose my salvation. But all that aside, uh, I'm excited to see the movie tonight. But anyway, 
So, where were we here? Uh, <laughs> we, what I'm saying is we put so much priority on these petty things, vain things. We move our lives to fit what we desire, but we don't make any priority over what's truly important, our eternity, our spiritual walk with God. And our apathy has crushed our joyfulness. Our apathy has crushed our joyfulness. And the longer that we put off our spiritual disciplines and decisions that we're called to make, the more negative our spiritual outlook becomes. It, it, is, so, it is so simple. Have you, think about the times where you decided, like, you know what? I do want to just chill and relax, but I'm going to read the Bible. I do want to just do this, but I'm actually going to just worship to one song. And, and when you do that, do you not feel just so refreshed in that moment? You're like, oh, it was good that I did this. But then the next day, you're like, nah, I'm not going to do that every night. <laughs> we feel so joyful for that moment. And we just know that it's what it's like what we've been longing to do. But then apathy sets right back in and it crushes that joy. And then months go by and you're like, man, why am I just so discouraged? Why am, I, why am I so, oh, I don't know what's going on. I just don't even want to go to church. Most of the times, guys, and I'm not, look, I'm not trying to say when real things are happening in our lives that discourages. I'm talking about when it's just like plain Jane life, and you, it's just like, I don't know why I'm feeling like this. It's often that our apathy has crushed our joy. It has crushed our motivation, and it, and it, is, it is hurting our optimism spiritually. We're not excited about the things of God like we used to. We're not excited about going to church like we used to because apathy has been crushing slowly our joy. It, and a, a really simple example that I'll give is uh, someone that's spiritually agnostic. I, I believe that everyone has a right to believe whatever you want. I, I believe that Christianity has so much, uh, so much truth so much, uh, so much to back it up that I believe it is simply the way. I believe it's the truth. I believe it's the one way because of everything, that uh, all of the evidence. Someone, uh, so many times when I've talked to someone that's agnostic, they portray themselves as truth seekers. And when I ask them, so what if you found out? <laughs> it, because it's this portrayal of like, I just like, I just want to find out, you know, the truth, you know, and that's why I'm kind of skeptical. But when I pursue this idea of what have you actually done to pursue that truth, there's nothing there. And I find it's the same thing among Christians and it's apathy. It's this apathy and there's no growth. There's no progress in finding that truth because there's no direction, no decisions, no work being done. There's just apathy in this void place in their lives. Y'all feel what I'm saying? And all that to, to portray, stop waiting and simply seek God. Because joy will come. Joy will come. We, we got to let go of the past. We got to let go of pride. And even those two things alone will make us apathetic. We're too bitter. We're too mad to really seek God because of things that have happened. Stop waiting and simply seek God. The knowledge of God brings forth joy. The closeness of God brings forth peace and joy. And the pursuit of God brings forth power, peace, and joy into your life. 
reawaken your spiritual walk and start practicing something spiritual today. Just something, just one step. I'm not projecting that we need to get everything in our lives perfect together. Let's just, let's bring in one thing into the equation. Let's start with just one thing today. Not even waiting till the new year's, not waiting till a fast, not waiting to the new reading plan. What's one thing that we can do today? Stop putting off God's promises. Stop putting off his truth or his God's power. Stop putting off your salvation. Stop uh, putting off your change or your growth or your peace. Stop putting off your joy for tomorrow. And let today finally be the day. With all that being said, I want us to close our eyes and bow our heads. And if you're here at some point in this message, you, you, just, you just know that God is speaking to you about this topic of letting it go. Maybe there's a specific incident in your life that you're, you just feel like God is telling you, right now, you need to let go of this. There's some history that you've been holding on to, and God is saying, you need to let go of this. Put forgiveness in the place of bitterness. Maybe you realize that there's been, not all at once, but a a subtle growing of pride in your life that's been blocking people out. And you realize now that that is what has been blocking out your joy. Maybe you you realize that this apathy, this spiritual apathy, that it's been hindering your relationship with God. You've been growing increasingly negative in your thoughts of God, your thoughts of Christianity. Whatever it is, you realize today that God is speaking to you and you just want to make a decision saying, here I am, Jesus. I want to let it go. I want to grow closer to you right now in this moment. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hands. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you administer to these people and that you would soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. Give us the strength to let things go. And from this moment forward, let there be a change. Let there be a tangible difference. Let there be a real feeling of joy because of the, the, the choices that are made right now. I pray for your joy over their lives, that it be experienced in a real way. If you're here, if you're listening, and, and you need to make that just initial decision to put your trust in Jesus for the very first time, maybe you've been far away from God and now you want to come back to him. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. It's simply saying if you have an authentic heart that acknowledges the sacrifice Jesus made and that it acknowledge who he is, the Son of God that rose from the dead, surely you should, that's how easy it is to start this relationship with him. And so if that is you, I want you to just have that conversation with Jesus right now. Don't put it off for tomorrow, but let today be the day where you have this talk with God. Be authentic, be genuine, and God knows your heart. 
Holy Spirit, I pray peace over everybody here, and I thank you for this time we got to uh, uh, learn from you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We're going to have a time of worship. Before we do, we're going to sign off online. Thank you guys for being a part. Have a good life. We love you. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.